Welcome to Antelope Road Christian Fellowship. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit myarcf.com. So if you've got the sermon notes in front of you, you see a contradiction already, and I'll tell you right now, it's my fault. So I'm going to apologize publicly because Melissa didn't do anything wrong. The cover to your bulletin still says shepherds and sheep because this was going to be a fourth week of shepherds and sheep and I totally changed up the plan. We're actually starting a new sermon series. So we're not doing shepherds and sheep anymore. I hereby declare that you know every possible thing there is to know about shepherds and sheep. There, you receive an honorary degree in how churches are to be structured and what leading and following looks like. Um, what we're going to be doing for the next six weeks is looking at the bigness of God. I hope you like that, or if you're not excited about it, I hope you're excited about it by the end of today, because the bigness of God solves a lot of problems. Amen. Yeah, somebody knows I'm preaching. It's rarely the size of your problem that's the issue. It's usually the size of your deity. Usually that's the issue, and so that's what we're going to be looking at. Specifically, I'm going to do kind of... Don't tell anybody, because I know it's not Christmas time. It's going to be a little bit Advent-y, and here's what I mean. We're going to start today with God coming to Moses for the first, and speaking to Moses for the first time. Everything is going to kind of be pointing forward to Messiah. So by the time we get to the week six, you're going to go, oh, yeah, this kind of makes sense. This would have been a good, really good run-up to Christmas Day. But Pastor Greg's not that smart, right? And really, this was born out of the elder's heart, and they shared this with me this week. And I go, oh, my gosh, this is awesome. We need to start doing this. So when you see all this, you're going to see breadcrumbs all throughout this. You're mostly going to be Old Testament stories all leading up to Messiah where you go, wow, the people of God had a gargantuan problem. I don't know. A guy who's nine foot six and has a weapon that's almost as heavy as the dude he's fighting. Does that sound like a problem? We don't fight that way anymore, so it's hard to really imagine. But if you imagine you're a one on one fight and he has an AK 47 and you have. A swing shot. Uh, yeah, you've got a switchblade. <laughs> You felt really bad, and you felt like a bad mamma jam with your little switchblade. It was the shocks versus the jets, and you're like, ah, and your hair was slicked back, and you were ready for this little knife fight, and then he comes out with his Rambo, right? Ah, Gen Z doesn't know who Rambo is. Let's see. Uh, who's young that has a really big gun? Jason Statham. There we go. Right? He has a gun, he packs it, and then goes swims after a 50-foot shark, right? Okay. All right. So... I'm trying to think of who are the modern, uh, who's the modern Rambo. But anyway, so we see stories all throughout the Old Testament of big gargantuan problems, huge problems, God being even bigger. But what I, with the breadcrumb, the, the, uh, red line, the red scarlet cord that I want to show you throughout the six weeks, and when I say I, I mean I'm going to dupe Pastor Dennis into getting up here, whoever's going to, I'm going to dupe you guys into, into preaching some of these as well. Um, what we want to show you in these six weeks is every giant that is slain is a picture of Satan, sin, and death. 
because every hero is ultimately a picture of Messiah. It doesn't mean that something amazing didn't happen in the moment, but every, uh, every miraculous healing, every deliverance, every, oh my goodness, God really got us out of a pickle there. Everything that God does for an undeserving, rebellious people, all of it is pointing forward toward the ultimate exodus where Jesus Christ hangs on a cross and he holds back the flood waters of God's wrath. God is rightfully angry at sin, but he's going to save his church. And he does it on a cross. And two-thirds of the Bible has been looking forward to this point. Okay? This is my implicit way of telling you, prepping you, for those of you who already are or who one day will soon be teaching in Kids Adventure, when we teach the Old Testament, we are always pointing forward toward Jesus or we're doing it wrong. That was for free. Okay. Today, part one, the God of the Exodus. So turn to page 48 if you're in the hardback Bible that we just passed out. If you know your way around Scripture, go to Exodus chapter 3. We're going to read the entire chapter. And even then, we're only going to be scratching the surface because in some ways this sermon is going to be referencing the entire Exodus. But we're going to read chapter 3. If you're new to church, the people of God are in slavery in Egypt about roughly 3,400 years ago. They've grown up to become a people that is larger and kind of intimidates Pharaoh about the size, the number of them. And so he oppresses them even harder. This baby is born. He is named Moses. And at the time he is born, Pharaoh is so evil, so maniacal, and so power-mongering, he orders the slaughter of the baby boy Hebrews. So to save his life, his mother puts him in a basket and floats him amongst the reeds of the Nile, close to where the princess bathes every morning. Just kind of a roll of the dice. Maybe the princess finds, oh, cute baby, like, and it works. Oh, one of the Hebrew babies. And Moses' older sister Miriam was hanging out nearby and goes to the princess and says, should I find one of the Hebrew women to nurse him for you? Yes, please do it. So she goes and gets who? Yochebed, the actual mother of the baby. So don't tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor, okay? Who nurses Moses until he's weaned. But now he grows up in Pharaoh's court, receiving the best education planet Earth would have had to offer at the time. Grows up as a prince of Egypt. Knows that he is of a people other than the ones that are raising him. Sees one of his own being oppressed one day and murders an Egyptian, hides his body in the sand thinking that nobody saw, but the next day, hears a threat from somebody and goes, oh my gosh, people know. And he runs from the only country that he knows. And if you think he's winning, he works with smelly animals out in a wilderness and the only job he could get was from his father-in-law and invests 40 of his, years of his life doing that. Okay, so that's the backdrop. He's now 80 years old, tending to the sheep, 
A murderer on the run, on the political outs, highly educated, and for what? To watch sheep? He knows all the political intricacies of the inside of Pharaoh's court, and for what? To watch sheep? Chapter 3, starting in verse 1. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't the bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to, make a, to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abuse them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God, Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? God answered, I will be with you, and this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. But Moses protested, If I go to the people of Israel and tell them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, What is his name? Then what should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. Now go and call together all the elders of Israel. Tell them, the Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me. He told me, I have been watching closely and I see how the Egyptians are treating you. I have promised to rescue you from your oppression in Egypt. I will lead you to a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. The elders of Israel will accept your message. Then you and the elders must go to the king of Egypt and tell him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us, so please let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand forces him. So I will raise my hand and strike the Egyptians. 
performing all kinds of miracles among them. Then at last he will let you go, and I will cause the Egyptians to look favorably on you. Then, you will get, then they will give you gifts when you go, so you will not leave empty-handed. Every Israelite woman will ask for articles of silver and gold and find clothing from her Egyptian neighbors and from the foreign women in their houses. You will dress your sons and daughters with these, stripping the Egyptians of their wealth. Lord Jesus, please teach us your word today. Give us everything that you have for us. Please give us the humility to receive it. In your precious name we pray. God's people said, amen. Amen. Note takers, grab your pens. Five things that we see about the size of God from this text. And there were many more. I had to chop this thing down to size. Big text. God's authority is so big that the laws of physics obey him. Just took a science class this last semester. Ooh, man. It's fun calling things laws. Because as mere mortals, you and I grow accustomed to thinking that we have to obey the laws. But it looks as we read scripture like the laws have to obey him. How much do you know about fire and your average bush? Consumption. Exactly, right? Heat, oxygen, fuel. That's what I remember from school, right? Heat, oxygen, and fuel. Which role is this bush supposed to be playing? Fuel. Fuel. What happens to the fuel? We got some kiddos in here, but I think they're age-wise. What happens to the fuel? It doesn't last forever. It is not perpetual fuel. It's, it's gone after a little while. Notice that Moses wasn't amazed that something was on fire. Lightning happens, a tree burns. He'd seen that a million times. Okay? There, there are no firefighters in the ancient world. Okay? Things happen. Well, the reason he walked over is that that bush is still on fire. And it's still on fire. And it's still on fire. Wait a minute, right? So I've told you guys before, if, unless you're new, you might not. You haven't heard this story before. I got to go serve for a month in Ghana. No, I did not take this picture. iPhones did not exist back then. But this is very similar to the villages that we served in. And when we got to give, uh, do a uh, dramatic presentation explaining the gospel of Jesus to the village, in town after town after town, village after village, in most of the villages, what happened is we asked people, do you want to be a follower of Christ? Most of the time what happened, here in the West, people would like, nah, that's not my thing, or like busy playing a game on their phone, or come on, dude, or maybe a yes. In this culture, you'd see 100 to 110 faces all turned to the left. Every single person is looking over at the chief, who is the oldest living male who is seated on this special wooden chair way off to the side next to one of the huts. They're all looking for permission to become a Christian. They won't do a thing without the chief's permission. So I may not have known anything about culture walking in there as a 13-year-old, but I learned real quick 
Would you like to worship Jesus as the center of your universe instead of something else? 110 heads, all look at one person. Could you guys imagine astronomy, biology, math, I don't know, the planets, black holes, all of them turn and look at Jesus to get their orders. Do you and I get to tell the moon what to do? Do you and I get to tell a black hole how to behave? So there's this fun story in the Bible. Jesus and his 12 apostles are in a boat in the Sea of Galilee, and there's a storm. 12 men are freaking out. One is sleeping. Trivia time. Who's the one sleeping? Jesus. Mm. If you're in church and you're new to church, I need to just let you know how this thing works. 90% of the time, if you say Jesus, you're probably going to have the right answer. <laughs> Jesus is not concerned. Later on, he walks on water, and then everybody goes, oh, that's why he's not concerned. <laughs> this makes a lot of sense. They wake him up. Jesus, aren't you worried? Why don't you care about us that we're all going to die? He stands up from his nap. It doesn't say that he's grumpy, but you never know. Things we'll ask him when we get to heaven. You guys interrupted my nap for this? Come on now. Peace, be still. The wind stops and the waves knock it off. Huh? That's a different type of authority. That's a different level. That's a very different level. We're not talking about, oh, you're the mayor of Citrus Heights. I was elected. I'm in charge. Oh, really? Have you told the wind what to do? Right? And it listened. <laughs> By the way, you can tell the wind what to do all you want. <laughs> That's called 5150. Um, but the wind listening, the wind listening, that's different. Now you're on a different plane. So if you love Jesus, here's a call to action. Here's a so what. Serve with obedience like the wind and the waves do. Okay? Some of you guys know this. Others of you need to know this. Before we were dealing with Omicron going around and before we were dealing with flu season, Kids Adventure staffing was hanging by a thread. We were working very, very hard. And when I say we, I mostly mean Sherry is working very, very hard to staff, I believe, four classes. The littles, the fours and fives, the first through third and the fourth through sixth. And we're trying to simply have teams of two that'll serve two weeks and be in here two weeks, serve two weeks, be in here two weeks. And it's like pulling teeth. And, I, and as I've shared and as I've prayed, I've, I've shared with the elders, I don't, actually, I don't really know what the problem is because I'm not afraid of children. 
I don't know if some of you think that your spiritual gifting isn't lined up. I don't know if you think your skills aren't lined up. I don't know what it is, but I do need you to know this. I am going to pray your barriers away, and I think the elders are are with me on that one. So whatever the barrier is, we're not gonna guilt you. We're not doing the Catholic thing. It's not about that. In fact, if you felt guilty and signed up, we'd kick you out because we should be serving out of joy. But if you're afraid, we want to work with you to train you, equip you, and encourage you. If you think your gifting is lined up, that doesn't make any sense because amongst adults, every gift has a place. That means amongst short ones, every gift has a place. Does that make sense? No, it didn't make sense. I'll try it again. Let's see. Uh, (laughs) I don't know how else to say it. Every type of gifting can bless every height of person. Okay? And we have some of the spots that we need to have filled are not even Bible teacher roles. Some of the spots, we already have an incredible Bible teacher. We need a loving adult who will show up faithfully and love the kids. Somebody else is already handling the Bible teaching. You just show up faithfully and love the kids and everything else you get to follow the the lead of the teacher, okay? So I want you to know your elders and staff, are. we're working to come alongside Miss Sherry over the next few weeks and months and we're gonna be working. It got fundamentally harder uh, COVID lockdown and the response to it and everything made us a one service church and children's ministry is harder with one service because with two services, all of your most committed people who really, really love kids, they'll serve every single week at the early service and then they'll sing at the second service and it's their joy to do so, right? It gets a lot easier with two services, but we're not there anymore. And so we're asking people who love kids and believe deeply in the discipleship of kids, we're asking them to miss out on weekend worship service, they're missing out a lot and end up catching the service on Facebook after the fact. Um, By the way, those of you guys who do that, I want you to know your sacrifice is a fragrant offering to the Lord. Your father sees the sacrifices that you make and he is pleased with you. And those kids are getting blessed because of you. You're sowing good seed and it takes faith to sow seed that it may take 30 years to see fruit. And for the record, because my dad was a pastor, I am the product of healthy Sunday schools. So when I laid my hands on that playground three and a half years ago and I said, Lord, please let our next pastor play on this playground, I didn't just mean the playground. Sunday schools breed the next generation of leaders period. They just do. I'm not saying you can't get saved at 25 and within 10 years, you're more than called and equipped to pastor a church. That happens all the time. It really does. But we need to invest in Sunday school as if the very future of the church depends on it, because it does. It does. So if the wind and the waves obey the voice of their creator, I'm asking us to serve with the same intensity. Amen? Okay. Second thing that we see from this text about the bigness of our God. God's knowledge is so big, he calls you by name. Anybody notice that we've got a fiery bush that is talking? (laughs) Is that supposed to happen? Well, first of all, it's already miraculous that it's not burning up. Now it's talking and it knows your name, Moses. 
multiple layers of miracle. God's knowledge is so big that he calls you by name. He knows you. Do you know that? Anybody ever been intimidated when you hear there are like 7.2 billion people on earth and wonder if he hears your prayers? Ever wondered that one? So what, what happened? Let me go back. There we go. So I was in class at Sac State a number of years back, had a professor that really, really valued learning everybody's name, but he had five or six different classes of about around 30 students each. And so he made these little cardboard placards of our name, and he said, look, I can't force you to do anything, but I really, really like learning names, so if you would humor me and just bring this to class, you know, I think he actually just had us put it back in a bin now that I think about it. But he said, if you'd put this in front of you and keep it in front of you in class, at least for the first few weeks, um, so that I can associate a name with a face, because I've got 150 plus students, and I really like learning your names. And I thought, oh, well, that's cool. You know, I can appreciate that. If I was ever a professor, I'm terrible with names, I would need the same thing. I'm like, that's great. And so that's what we did. God has no need of 7.2 billion name placards. Before God created Adam and Eve, he already knew every name of the 7.2 billion people who are alive today. He knew every name of the 6.7 billion people who are going to be alive in 1983. And he loved them. He knew every single name of the 5.3 billion people that were going to be alive in 1971. And he loved them. Like, does your head hurt yet? Calculator? Anybody? The bigness of God's knowledge and the bigness of God's love have a multiplying effect. God being really loving, but he doesn't, he doesn't know who you are, doesn't do me a lot of good. Or he knows who I am, but he's not love, doesn't do me a lot of good. He calls Moses by name. And he's about to talk about his love, not just for Moses as an individual, but for this entire people, and talk about his deliverance of them. I've heard your cries, and I'm coming for you. And Moses, you're going to be a part of this. So put on your boots. Let's go. What do I want you to do because of this knowledge? I want you to pray with confidence because your father knows you. ARCF, pray with confidence. Your father knows you. He already knows what you're going to say. He knows how you're going to say it. He knows how you're going to stumble over. He knows if, if, I don't know if I'm allowed to ask for this. I'm, my theology is wrong. I don't know about Bible verses. Maybe I'm not even allowed to ask for this. So, 
Anybody here, hey, anybody here, when you were five years old, asked your parent for something you weren't allowed to ask for and your parent killed you and just hid the body? Is that how it works? No, we ask for all kinds of things we're not allowed to ask for. We get a, um, honey, that's not how it works, and we get some redirection and we get some teaching because our parents love us. The enemy of our souls loves putting all kinds of excuses in our tool belt for why not to pray. And one of them is, oh, that's too small. One of them, oh, that's too big. One of them, oh, you're gonna say it wrong. All kinds of excuses. ARCF, your father knows you. He can call you by name even if you've never met him. In fact, if you love Jesus, he already called you by name one day. That already happened. You might have soiled yourself because something miraculous was happening in front of you. Your own unburning bush happened. It looked a little different, but it was miraculous nonetheless. And you're like, my discussion about whether God exists or not just ended because he's here. And he's talking to me. And he knows my name. And he's sending me. Like, this isn't in the notes, but like, getting called by God and sent by God is the same dad-blasted thing, Christian. Being saved and sent is the same thing. You have a job if you've been saved by Jesus. You have, I'm in the Lord's army. Yes, sir. Did you hear that little song? That's the product of a healthy Sunday school in 1988. That's right. Mm -hmm. If you've been saved, you have been sent. Moses Moses, here I am. And then God tells him, here's who I am. Here's the cries, here are the cries that I have heard. Here's what I am about to do about it. And here's your role. Let's get going. Oh, you have excuses? I'm gonna deal with your excuses. Let's get going. Church, pray with confidence. Your father knows you. Pray with confidence. Nothing bad's gonna happen. Nothing bad is gonna happen if you, quote, pray wrong. In fact, lots of good is gonna happen. The first time you try to ride your bike, the worst that could happen is you fall off and you skin something, okay? But you learned a little bit, and that's okay. God's authority is so big, the laws of physics obey him. His knowledge is so big, he calls you by name. God's holiness is so big, his immediate environment is purified. What? Did you hear him say to Moses, don't come any closer and take off your sandals? You're standing on holy ground. Did you hear that or was that just me? You're standing on holy ground. God shows up, and so this is no longer ordinary dirt. This is holy, which means sacred or set apart. Ordinary dirt becomes nowhere near ordinary, extraordinary dirt, because God is here. 
Greg, that's a one-off and you're reading into it too much. No, I'm not. It happens again. Leprosy is contagious. Levitical law said you don't touch somebody with leprosy. This is how you wash. You have to have the person has to be segregated away from the rest of the population so it doesn't spread. You don't touch them. You don't go anywhere near them. They have to say unclean, unclean, so everyone else can stay away. Because things that are dirty, things that are broken, things that are sinful, they spread. New Testament says a little bit of yeast leavens the whole dough. Sin spreads, disease spreads. Except the God-man can walk up and touch the disease. And instead of him catching the disease, the disease catches Jesus. That dirt was sanctified by the presence of Yahweh and that was just a taste of what was to come. Because we see the exact same thing when the God-man touches a contagious disease, the disease goes away. The man is healed. This shows us who's in charge again. If a black hole or if the second law of thermodynamics are looking to Jesus for their orders, that means leprosy has to obey as well. Man, our world has problems, but we've got a bigger God. God's holiness is so big that his immediate environment is purified. This is the same thing that Isaiah is losing his mind in terror. Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, of a people of unclean lips. And what does the angel do with the tongue from the altar? He comes and touches his lips and purifies him. By the mercy of God, he has to be purified or else he's incinerated. Like, you can die. That's a perfectly good option. Read the the Levitical law. You go into the presence of God, an animal strays into the presence of God. You go into the um, Holy of Holies when you're not supposed to. You can die. This is an image of going to hell, by the way. You can pay for your own sins by going to hell. It's a perfectly good option as it relates to justice. You just don't want that option. And God doesn't want that option for you either. The option that God wants for you is for you, by his mercy, for him to make provision that you can be in his presence. He can say it is finished and the the veil is torn from top to bottom. That's his plan. That was always the plan. So dirt that used to be normal becomes sacred when God shows up. The normalness of disease and brokenness and decay and leprosy, that normal becomes something supernatural when Jesus shows up and touches. So church, what do I want you to do? Ooh, this button today. Okay. Nope, 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 and nope. Run toward the mess, not away. Church, you are Christians, you are in an army, and you are on the offense. Jesus said so. He said the gates of hell will not prevail against his church, and gates are a defensive weapon. They are not offensive. That means Jesus said, my church will be on the offense. We run toward the mess, not away. You know, it's a really sad statistic that's beautiful and powerful. One of the number one groups in the south of England to die of the plague was Protestant ministers. When there was a village that caught the plague, the Protestant ministers ran toward the village when everyone else ran away. 
It happened in France as well. The minister said, I am in the hands of God. And listen, okay, because I'm, I'm a cynic at heart, I really am. An atheist would say to that, boy, weren't they foolish because like over 30% of them died of the plague. So they lied to themselves like God is going to protect me. They didn't say God's going to protect me from the plague. They said I'm in God's hands. And the plague lasted a very long time. They already knew that the mortality rate of their profession was very high. And they ran toward the mess anyway. Christians have been running toward the mess for a very, very long time. When it was legal in Rome to take an unwanted baby and leave them on the trash heap outside of a city, Christians went out to the trash heap and started going every single day to find babies and bring them and start taking care of them and raising them. When there was no such thing, what we would call a modern hospital, Christians invented them. We run toward the mess because God putting on flesh and coming to us, Emmanuel, is, this is who our God is. He finds leprosy and walks toward it. He doesn't run away from it. This is how big our God is. And so this is who we are as a people. Fourth, God is so big that success primarily depends on his presence. My, easily, my favorite tidbit of this story in Exodus 3 is Moses saying, I'm not good at talking. I stutter. I stammer. I never went to Toastmasters. And God says nothing whatsoever about Moses. He says, I will be with you. Hey, Moses, this isn't about you. Moses, this isn't the Moses show. Paul's going to say years later, um, God is going to say through Paul, my power is made perfect in your weakness. He's going to say to Paul, right? He uses the weak and the foolish things of this world to shame the strong and the wise. Are you kidding? You're a murdering, stammering fool. That's why I called you. It's not because you're 6'3", attractive, and can run the National Rifle Association that I told you to go talk to, to Egyptian Pharaoh. Like, no. You're weak, and you're broken, and you're socially on the outs with the Egyptian elite. I'm going to make much of me through you. And you're going to receive incredible joy and blessing every step of the way. Let's go. So, one of the most hotly debated, uh, let's see if we can get to the next slide. Hotly debated dudes of World War II, Erwin Rommel, Desert Fox. German dude fighting in North Africa primarily against the British Montgomery. The historians debate back and forth whether he was, like the degree to which he was going along to get along with Hitler because the way that he died was he was implicated in an assassination attempt against Hitler and forced to take a cyanide pill. So he died shortly before, shortly after D-Day actually, but um, he died 
about 10 or 11 months, I think, before VE Day in 45. But uh, Montgomery figured out something almost by accident that Erwin Rommel would fly home to Germany every year to celebrate his birthday. And Montgomery would make sure to attack whenever Rommel was gone. And he had a field day whenever Rommel was gone because apparently whoever was second in command just wasn't that good. And the Allies would make incredible advances, even though in the end, you know, it didn't matter a whole lot. Um, in the end, I'm sorry, in the moment, the Allies could get these incredible wins. And it happened like three or four years in a row. I think it happened three years in a row. The first, two the first two times it was incidental, and the third time it was on purpose, something like that, uh, where Montgomery goes, well, Erwin's birthday's coming up. We're going to attack because he's going to be back in Berlin. You know, All right, you're going you're gonna to have your champagne and cake, whatever, man. We're going to attack. Um, we got a war to fight. So what Montgomery discovered was that uh, the Germans' ability to successfully defend had entirely to do with the presence of their commander, Okay, um, unfortunately, tragically, we see as we read the Old Testament, as we read of the people of God, over and over and over again, you could defeat the people of God easily. As soon as Yahweh left, go ahead and attack. There are times where they've said that out loud. They said, their God has abandoned them. Israel's God has abandoned them, attack. Um, it's God's presence with his people that makes them unstoppable. That is still true, brothers and sisters, in the 21st century. We get on board with his agenda. We honor him. We love him. We serve him. And we love those whom he loves. Um, if he, to use the language of Revelation 2, if he, as a, as a local church, if he snuffs out our lampstand, if he says, hey, you as a local church, you're not all about me. You're not going to honor me. You're not going to serve me. You're not going to love the world. Um, I'm gone. I'm out. He, he has the right to do that, right? Or he can say, wow, you honor my father here. You're filled with my spirit here. We're going to advance the kingdom together. Here's, here's my call to action for you. Make Jesus Lord over every part of of your home. You see, where God is present, there is victory. Make God present in your marriage. Make him Lord over your parenting or your grandparenting. Make God present in your financial decisions. Make God present as you try to figure out what to do with work, what to do with your businesses. Make God Lord over your decisions with education. Make God Lord over your relationships on your street. Make him Lord over everything. Invite him into every nook and cranny because the Lord is Lord. He's not invited into little slices. He is Lord. And last, because we're running long, the bigness of God. God's love is so big that he chose to deliver you. Did you see over and over again through that text? I see the plight of my people. I hear their cries and I'm going to deliver them. The delivery that this is pointing toward, and we're going to see a lot in the next few weeks, 
is Jesus choosing to die the death you and I should have died for our treason against God. Every one of us is sinners. Every one of us has done things that are wrong, said things that are wrong, believed things that are wrong, that are treasonous. God, I want to be God, and that's called sin. I want to be in charge. I want to do it my way. I want to define terms. And Jesus said, they deserve to be punished for their sin, but I do not want them to face that just punishment. I'm going to so absorb that into myself. And that's what the cross is. The cross is Jesus absorbing the wrath of God into his own body on the cross. And as hellish as it was, the book of Hebrews says that he did it for the sake of joy. He loved the Father, he loved us, and he did it for joy. He could see all that he was going to earn because of his cross, and so he did it. If you do not already love Jesus, this is my call to you. Receive his forgiveness for the first time and become a follower of him. Exodus 3 shows us that God is not just big enough to know that there are problems, he is loving enough to address them. And his cross proves that he is dealing with your sin problem and with mine. So follow him. Follow him. Stop worshiping yourself, it's not working. Do not worship money, it's not working. Do not worship success, it's not working. Do not worship sex, it's not working. Do not worship your five-year plan, it's not working. It's not working. Worship Jesus. He has never lied to you. He has never betrayed you. He has only ever told you truth. And he has washed away sin that you cannot wash away. Worship Jesus. I'm going to pray for us. Holy Spirit, would you please allow us to see the bigness of God? And because of that, God, would you overwhelm us with awe and wonder? and gratitude, and worship, and praise. God, make worshipers out of us this week. Make us a blessing to everyone we come in contact with. Make us purposeful and proactive in those that we live next door to, family members, coworkers, Teach us how to love and how to serve. How to communicate your cross so clearly. How to communicate the empty tomb clearly. Thank you for hearing our prayers in the name of Jesus. God's people said.